building entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, folks, the Irredeemable Shag. Along me, as always, is my co-host, the buoyant Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I am very boyish. Thank you. I said buoyant, like float. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Buoyant and boyish? <laughs> no, sir. That ship sailed many, many years ago along with your follicle, oh, hair follicles. <laughs> oh, man. So I've said Well, before, it's nice to be podcasting with you, too. I know. I missed you. But you know, how, you know how much I missed you? We haven't recorded together since, like, November... 2017. It, it's, it, it only feels much shorter than that. At least about this topic. So why don't you tell the people at home what we're talking about today, Rob? Yes, it has been far, far too long since we have talked about current Aquaman comics, as Shag said. They says. still make they those? Covered. Yeah, they do. Well, he's, you haven't heard? He's a billion-dollar movie star. Nothing, nothing um, has happened since we did these issues last. Yeah, right? that's right. Yes, nothing remarkable regarding Aquaman has happened since then. No, we, we got way, way far behind, and that's my fault. It's really kind of, I'm in charge of, of this part of it, of, of keeping up to date and we haven't done that we have not talked about current aquaman comics since november 2017 a whole calendar year went by it's just ridiculous so uh since aquaman now has a new writer kelly sue deconic uh with the first uh, female writer for aquaman first regular female writer in, in 75 years um we wanted to get onto that and, and kind of get up to speed with kelly sue deconic's run but we thought the most appropriate thing to do first would be to finish off the dan abnet run so we're going to be covering a giant pile of aquaman comics namely issues 31 through 42, <laughs> plus the annual number one and the Aquaman meets Jabberjaw special. So we have a whole ton of Aquaman to talk about. So we're going to celebrate Kelly Sudaconic by not talking about her. Is that what you're saying? Well, we're – okay, yes. I mean we want to do – well, we didn't, we didn't want to – we wanted to pay tribute to both Dan Abnett and Kelly Sudaconic by doing separate things. I, I didn't want to mess it all together. So we're going we're gonna to bid adieu to Dan Abnett, one of the great and longest runs on – on the character, and then we will not let so much time go by before we start picking up with the Kelly Sue DeConnick book. She's already three issues in, so we got to do them soon before we get too far behind. But we won't let it get this far behind next time because this is this is absurd. They were 
covering uh, 13 comics in one episode. So, yeah, what we'll probably do with Kelly Sue is wait till like, a trade paperback worth of issues are out, and then we'll jump in there. That way you can do one nice big story. Reasonable. Yeah. perfect. Right, yeah, they do every six or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And Dan, as you said, has had a wonderful run, absolutely exceptional. He's done a lot of really cool stuff. He's taken Aquaman in a lot of different directions. Uh, he came up, he came in on a, a tough road. He came in after Cullen Bunn. That was a lot to uh, rebuild from the fan base at that point, and I think he did a phenomenal job, and I think it's uh, this will be nice if we celebrate him as he as he waves goodbye, as he swims away. Yeah, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed his run, and like I said, it was historic, and that it was one of the longest runs of any writer ever had. Is it second to Peter David? Is that accurate, or is there some classics like Golden Age folks? You know, I probably should have looked that up, but I think it's probably pretty close, because, I mean, Abnet did the last, what, like, I think like seven of the previous series, and then he did this, and so that would make it that he wrote something like 50 issues. Yeah, it's about 50 issues or so. And and Peter David did a little more than that, plus he did some annuals, and he did the miniseries, of course. He did Time and Tide, so I think David's got him beat, but not by a lot. Okay. Awesome. Well, before we get much further, we should take a second to thank our sponsor, which ties into this nicely because I have a Dan Abnett pick, which is uh, – so, oh, well, before I say that, folks, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of uh, $50 or more. So, Rob, what did you bring this time? Well, you have a Dan Abnett pick, and I have a Dan Abnett oh, perfect. pick. Perfect. Uh, I went with – yes, I went with Aquaman, Trade Paperback, Volume 6, Kingslayer. Oh. Uh, it's written, of course, by Dan Abnett. The art is by Kelly Jones and others, of course. We'll get to Kelly Jones specifically in a minute. And it also features uh, some – it features the covers. And then the cover for this trade edition is by Joshua Middleton. And, man, I am loving these Joshua Middleton variant covers. I mean, these things are just gorgeous. They deserve a book of their own, these these Middleton covers. Uh, it collects Aquaman numbers 34 through 38. Uh, the, normal pr- it's, uh, the normal price is fourteen ninety nine. In stock trades price is eight dollars and sixty nine cents. So you can really this could this is one of the essential volumes you're going to get if you want to read all the Dan Abnett Aquaman comics. I mean, this is all of his books are being collected in these big trades, and they're really wonderful. And now, just to be for a little bit of clarification, because it gets confusing, because Aquaman had several runs recently. The, the issue numbers you just named that's from the Rebirth era series that started in 2016. And I only mention that because I'm going to be talking about one that started in 2011 with similar numbering. Right. Yeah, it is very. Yeah, we're on like Aquaman volume eight or something at this point. This is this is collecting thirty four through thirty eight of the current series, which we're going to be talking about in this very episode. Yep. Now my pick is Aquaman trade paperback volume eight, not to be confused with the other volume eight he just mentioned, called Out of Darkness. Now this collects issues from again that two thousand eleven run, which started at the beginning of the new fifty two, then Dan, Dan Abnett finished it off. It's issues. 49 through 52, and Aquaman Rebirth number one. It includes the introduction of Deadwater. Uh, I believe it includes the introduction of their embassy, the giant... uh cool, I forgot what it's called, but that really cool embassy they had above the sea level that we just thought would have made the most awesome playset. Yeah, it was that like that. And the reason I picked this is because these are Dan Abnett's first issues. So uh, it's 144 pages. The art's by Brett Booth. Uh, full color. Normally retails for $16.99, but you can get it for 42% off right now, so it's only $9.85. And this is the place to start if you want to read the Dan Abnett run. And it's a great run. It really, really is. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I kind of wish that he had been able to kick off Rebirth from the start rather than starting at the tail end of the other series. But either way, you buy the trades and it all works out, folks. So for these and all your collected edition needs, please visit InStockTrades.com and tell them the Fire and Water podcast sent you. Well, Rob, near as I can tell, I'm just going to kick back in my aqua cave uh, with my bubble blower and let you do most of the heavy lifting here. Is that right? 
Uh, yeah, I think that seems fair. I mean, the last episode, uh, when you did the Firestorm recaps, that's kind of how it worked, except it was opposite. So, yeah. So, the way, so the way we're going to be organizing this is I'm going to be do, sort of discussing them by story arc. Uh, we figured that was the easiest way to sort of organize all this material. So I'm going to be doing the recaps for kind of a bunch of issues all at once, and then we'll have our comments, and then we'll move on to the next story arc. And that's the way we're going to be doing it. So, And we're also going in publication order, which means we're actually going to be starting with Aquaman Annual Number 1. Woohoo! And, uh, yeah, and that story is called Crown Spire, and it's by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Max Fiumara. Uh, this, uh, this story opens up in an alternate timeline where we see Aquaman and Mira, now much older, living in a new Atlantean city where they are raising a young son named Tom. Theirs is a life of peace and prosperity, but trouble breaks out on the same day that some of Arthur's old Justice League teammates come to visit. Aquaman's former right-hand man, Merc, everybody's favorite, seems to be leading a prison revolt, but when Batman arrives, it is revealed that this perfect life is all a lie. When Aquaman and Mira were scouting locations for the new city, they were attacked by an alien plant known as the Black Mercy, which attaches itself to a host and, to keep them compliant, makes them think they are living out their wildest imaginations. Once Aquaman learns the truth, he sees his son literally disintegrate before his eyes, because he never existed in the first place. Merc and the other Atlantean soldiers mourn for their king and queen, who we see sitting on a beach, mourning the loss of a son who is never really a son at all. Man. So... Ooh, Man, heavy stuff. Yeah, a, a um, lot of feels going on in this one. Uh, what did you think of this, Shaq? I really enjoyed this one. It sort of caught me by surprise. I didn't expect much out of it because I saw, okay, first of all, it's an annual. Second of all, it's not Dan Abnett, so okay, this is filler. And it kind of was, uh, I guess you could say, because not because really it's a it's a it's a dream the whole thing. But man, it really was good. The emotional stuff I really liked. It, it felt like an Elseworlds at first, where we see the older Aquaman and Mera. I was really in, I was really digging their life, you know. Uh, the only criticism I have with there would be, you know, they were really advanced in age. So really, at that point, wouldn't they be grandparents of Tom rather than parents? But that's a nitpick, and it was an alternate reality anyway, or, or a, um, I guess an illusion, I should say. Anyway, I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed that whole thing. I, I, it was a lot of fun. Um, I've got more comments on it, but what, what did you think of it? Oh, I thought it was terrific. I really like – first of all, I really love the artwork by Max Fiumara. I'm not familiar with him at all, but, man, I really liked it. It had a kind of Paul Pope kind of hmm. fluidity to it, no pun intended, uh, and everybody knows how much I love Paul Pope. Like right at the very beginning in the opening sequence where they're diving down the scouting out locations, and I love that um, when Aquaman says Atlantis is the largest, most resource-rich nation on Earth, we should be a global superpower. And then the next panel is Mira upside down. Mm -hmm. And she says, I like it when you talk this way. Yeah. And I just love that she's popping into the frame upside down because, of course, that's how they're swimming. I really, really liked his work. And it makes me want to go find other stuff that he's drawn. Like I said, I'm completely unfamiliar with, with him. Um, yeah, I mean, it is just a, 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 a variation on the what do you get for the man yep. of tomorrow story by Alan Moore. I mean, they're not even trying to do a, a gloss on it. It's literally the story. It's the black mercy. It's the same thing. The plan is, um, is it's one of my notes. Has, is there anyone in the DC universe that hasn't faced a black mercy yet now at this point? <laughs> right. At some point. I mean, you know, Hey, when somebody comes up with an idea that good, you know, you got you know, why not give it a try? Um, no, I re I like that. It, it, of course, hints at the Aquaman world that we were familiar with, you know, not that long ago and has been gotten rid of. Um, so we get to see that. And it is very, it's very, very, very sad. I mean, it's a real downer of a story, I have to say. But I like the action. I like seeing kind of the older Justice League. 
Um, I, I really liked everything. I love Batman's uh, Batwing, his super high-tech <laughs> um, kind of thing. I like that's really cool. And, of course, Batman is the one that has to sort of break the news to Aquaman, you know, that all of this is fake and stuff like that. And I love when Aquaman smashes into the Batwing. I always thought you'd die in Gotham. I right. thought that was really cool. I, I, I got to comment yeah. on the Batman thing real quick. I made a note okay. of this. Out of all the, issues, all the 1,300 issues we read, the 350 pages of Aquaman comics we read for this episode, the single best line in all of it comes from Batman in this annual. And Batman's line is, you were the League's secret weapon, Arthur. Everyone always underestimated you, not me. Which I, that is cool. I just thought, now, in hindsight, oh, it's a dream, so actually Arthur dreamt that himself, so he's kind of complimenting himself, <laughs> but either way, it's a great line. I know. I really – I loved everything about this. I, I was – I just thought it was terrific. I agree. I think the annuals at times tend to be filler, uh, that they don't – you know, you kind of read them and you go, eh, it either doesn't – of course, it either doesn't affect the main story or or they do a big t- you know crossover or whatever like they did the JLA Ape where all the storyline ran over. Gosh. The annuals. You could have picked any but, uh, annual. You picked JLA Ape. <laughs> well, I'm just saying – I'm just saying – I'm talking about that was a storyline that went through the annuals I know, you is could, what you, I'm saying. You could have said Armageddon 2001. You could have said any number of things, but you went with JLA Ape. I don't have JLA on the mind. What do you want from me? But uh, but no, I thought this really had a nice emotional punch. That shot of Aquaman and Mira on the beach, sitting there and and sort of mourning the the loss of a son that they never really had, but yet they felt emotionally that he really was there. Uh, I just thought it was terrific. And I said I thought the art artwork was great. I loved everything about that. Yeah, and and they even have a line where they say like you know in the dream state they lived those years. So to them those right. years were real. That son was real. Yeah. So that was the, the you're right. The scene of the beach was the powerful one and um and rob sort of hinted at it but I, i'll just be able to put a little more on the nose they're, they're basically a lot of it is echoes of arthur jr is what the whole deal is is that tom sure, is supposed course. to right and you just didn't say it as blatantly and some people you say it wasn't that long ago well dude that was like 30 years ago actually arthur jr died no i well no but i mean the aquaman and mira that had a dead son was only a couple oh, of years okay. ago that was still in continuity just a couple of years oh, it's true i was just saying that the the baby itself hasn't been alive in 30 years right. so. no yeah arthur jr's been dead for yeah so people may have forgotten yeah so it's anyways a lot of echoes of that which is really uh very touching so yeah good stuff really enjoyed it yeah i was very imaginative and i said i dug it and again I, I really want to find more of this max fiumara guy because i just i really enjoyed looking at, at this work i thought it was beautiful and did you say merc everyone's favorite or nobody's favorite everyone's okay favorite. i was being sarcastic well no no we're gonna have words about merc later on oh ooh, okay i'm scared um <laughs> so Okay, well, now we're on to the regular Aquaman series, and this is uh, – we have three parts all in a row, so I'm going to do the recaps there all together, and then we'll, we'll talk about them. Uh, it's Aquaman number 31, which is The Crown Comes Down, part one by Dan Abnett and Ricardo Federici. Uh, Coram Wrath, using old magic of Atlantis, has taken over the throne and made himself king. He rules with an iron fist, threatening to destroy anyone who dares challenge him. Aquaman arrives and defeats a few of Wrath's men to send a message, justice is coming. Volko tries to console Aquaman that he must build alliances with other factions of Atlanteans, otherwise he will never be able to defeat Wrath and his army. Sounds like the movie. As Aquaman pursues this, his new friend Dolphin discovers an unconscious Mira imprisoned in a tank about to die. Huh? Uh, Aquaman 32, which is The Crown Comes Down Part 2, again by Abnet and Federici. Aquaman rescues Mira, albeit temporarily. Thanks to dark magic, Mira can no longer breathe water like she used to and needs oxygen. For her to live, she must live on the surface, unless Aquaman destroys the crown of thorns, the magic totem keeping Quorum Wrath in power. 
Aquaman consults with King Shark, who runs the local street gangs of Atlantis, asking for his help. King Shark is open to the idea, but wants assurances that whatever new king is installed actually has time for the poorer residents of Atlantis. As Mira recovers, Aquaman learns that the Tower of Widowhood has foreseen that Mira is destined to rule Atlantis. Will Mira do her duty or choose a life with Arthur? And then finally, Aquaman 33, the crown comes down for now. Again, Abnet and Federici. Aquaman, assisted by King Shark's army, attacks the fortress, holding the crown of thorns, and the small army of rats loyalists defending it. Along with Dolphin's help, they defeat rats, people, and destroy the crown of thorns. Aquaman brings Mira to the surface, telling Tula she needs time to heal, and when she does, she will be queen of Atlantis. In the meantime, Aquaman heads back to Atlantis to go after Koromrath, who still holds the throne. So, okay, those are the those are the three parts. I mean, this is this is a story arc within a larger story arc. Yeah. But this is these sort of three parts sort of fit together because then we have a very distinct issue uh, following this. So, so, so Shag, what did you think of these three? I just want to say because I'm not sure it was actually in the recaps what the Crown of Thorns is. The Crown of Thorns is the force field around Atlantis, which makes it, it right. people can't get in or out. So, anyways, right, which been. which we covered in way back in 2017, as I'm sure everyone remembers. <laughs> exactly. Um, the pluses was it was a nice little story. I liked it. I liked the whole. Uh, battling to you know if you've got to do the larger arc having a focal point of just taking down the force field is pretty cool uh, the first thing that jumped out at me though was the change in art you know uh fred ricci i've got some nice things to say about him but sadly he's not uh stefan shayek or shage who was the previous artist who introduced dolphin who was just just above and beyond stellar so the the art wasn't as enjoyable for me uh, it was still very impressive uh, Frederici's really, really exceptional at faces. I mean, really good at faces. However, like, this is going to be a weird nitpick, but like, the body proportions are a little too realistic for me. Like, it feels like I'm looking at something out of like Grey's Anatomy or something, whereas in my comics, I want a little bit of like dynamic and a little exaggeration. So, like, uh, there was a little bit of lack of fluidity, or we used that word earlier, or dyna- dynamic stuff for me. So. Dolphin, you know, along the same lines, Dolphin's still attractive, but she's not smoking hot like she was in the last one. And that's important to me, you know? So, and one of the key things about that character, though, is her expressions are so important, you know, because she doesn't speak. So having her expressions tell the whole story is important. Whereas here, we're pretty much reduced to just awkward sort of jealous glances at Aquaman whenever Aquaman was thinking about Mera. You know, that's all we really got out of Dolphin here. So I feel like she, she didn't get sidelined or anything, but I feel like she wasn't as big a deal. Um, I've got a lot more to say here. Uh, you know, let me, I'll, I'll just do one more point and turn it over to you and then I'll come back in a minute. Like one thing I really like about this and I think about Abnett's entire run is he has really done a lot to establish the boroughs, I guess for lack of a better term, of Atlantis. Because whenever for years Atlantis was basically the throne room and wherever Aquaman had to go at that moment, maybe the kelp farms or something. But here, I mean, he has developed the ninth triad. He's got all these different little subdivisions within Atlantis because that's what a big city would have that, you know? And I think he's really done a lot to develop the geography of Atlantis. And I love that. And I think it was good put to good use here and throughout the story. Uh, yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, Artwork-wise, we haven't mentioned The Colorist, which is Sunny. I believe it's Go, G-H-O, okay. is how you pronounce it. Uh, I really, I mean, he is doing a lot of work here. I mean, these things are fully, they, they're not painted, but they look like it. I mean, they, they look like animation cells mm. almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so, and it really gives Aquaman a very distinct look. I, I agree. I don't maybe like it quite as much as, as Stefan Sedgwick. Uh, previously, but I, I still do like it a lot. Um, I do. I like the proportions. I kind of like that people are not crazy muscular, super. You know, like not that the, you just say what well, Rob Liefeld or something <laughs> going for like an immediate like super extreme example. But I kind of like that people are relatively you know 
normally proportioned. So I like all that. Um, I do want to mention number 30. I mean, all of these books feature great cover, uh, alternate covers by uh, Joshua Middleton. I go on and on. This one, though, number 33 in particular, it, it actually, this was a cover that made my short list for our 10 Great Covers uh, episode that we did. And this, the, the one for number 33, and we'll post it in the, in the gallery post on the website, is just a portrait of Aquaman, and it's all blues and oranges with his hair flowing. Uh, and it's got all these kind of curly cues and all these almost like uh, surreal kind of abstract sort of things. And there's some fish flying. And it reminds me, and I, I don't know, maybe it's a stretch, but there is a famous poster of, of Bob Dylan by the, auto, uh, the artist, excuse me, Peter Max, where it's a, it's a, the silhouette is all in black except the hair is rainbow colors. And it flows and stuff. And that's what this reminds me of. It just has this sort of like very hippy-dippy quality, but I really love it. It's just it – just, I like how simple it is. It's just a nice side portrait of Aquaman. So I think it's, it's great. So I mean I really like how this book looks. Uh, I like the dolphin. It, I'm, I want to jump in because I'm on the variant cover thought. Um, actually, I, I noticed – because I saw your notes, which one you loved. Believe it or not, I, I, don't, I think that one's fine. My favorite of the variant covers actually is number 32, the one before it, which again, Joshua Middleton, amazing stuff. Uh, it's where Mara uh, – who looks a lot like Amber Heard in the in the drawing is like caught in this thorn bush kind of looking thing. Yes, that's a great. Yeah, and it's symbolic of the crown of thorns. But I think it's just, she's got kind of a, a nervous expression on her face. I think it's just yes. stunning, absolutely stunning. The colors, as you said, similar to this one, the colors are just absolutely great. So that that of this cluster, that was my favorite variant cover. Yeah, uh, I really I think Aquaman at this point probably could sell an Aquaman cover to cover book the way they did for DC and uh, for Batman and Superman a couple years ago. I mean, he is a billion dollar movie star at this point. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I mean, I really think everyone's got the home game. Bingo! Uh, go ahead and mark there you your go. square. Uh, yes, oh, I haven't mentioned Joe Kubert School yet. Um, <laughs> sure. But if you, uh, if if I mean, really, I mean, I said if you did a, a a book of great Aquaman covers, I you you ended up you'd end up pulling like twenty of them from Middleton because they're just. I mean, the guy was so amazingly consistent. But anyway, I'm going on and on about Joshua Middleton. Um, as we all know, I am bored to tears with the Atlantis. You know, Atlantean politics. Mm-hmm. And this story is nothing but Atlantean politics. But at least, I don't know, I like the idea that they say that Aquaman is not going to resume the throne. I yes. like that. It's like it's going to be Mira. That's cool. And also, we've talked about this in previous episodes Abnet is not afraid to be right. To, to not be subtle about the uh, parallels between our current politics and then the you know the politics of Aquaman comics. I mean, you've got Aquaman wants to make the deal with King Shark, and King Shark is like, "Well, all right," but he's sort of like, "Yeah, this Colin Rath guy is bad, but you know, you're no better because you're not treating us down on the lower levels of the city any better than anybody else." And so, to to guys like us, what's the difference if you ignore us? If Colin Rath ignores us, what's the difference between him ignoring us and you ignoring us? Very familiar. That's uh, themes of that's going on in the country right now. So that's something that Abnet is laying on pretty heavily. But I like it all. I mean, it, it works. It's nice to have some political relevance in a superhero comic. So I, like I say, I, I've seen the this story done a thousand times, but I like the variation that Abnet is bringing to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the way this also builds nicely to the Mara miniseries. Uh, yes. we, we did that a while back and it, it all, it all fits in really, I mean, obviously the same writer, so it should, but it all fits in very neatly and how it built to the Mara miniseries and how that comes into play later. I thought that was nice. So, uh, about the art, going back to that for a second, Aquaman with glowing eyes, where's that coming from? Uh, he's got, he's got additional powers now. Oh, you think thanks, it's and he's got the magic thing? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Cause he has the glowing eyes a lot in this, in these, yes. in this particular arc. And I thought it was maybe just an artist's choice. 
kind of thing. But it, it, no, he's got he's got some more magical stuff going on. That would make sense. Okay. Um, another thing I wasn't too overwhelmed with in, in this particular run, they really kept trying to play the Aquaman as this urban legend. As this, you know, mythical thing that no one believed that the Aquaman was real. And they're like, oh, no, the king is dead. I get what they're going for. They're trying to do the whole Batman urban legend kind of thing. It just didn't. I never liked it. Yeah, it didn't really. It didn't really work for me here. I appreciate what they're going for. But I liked it better once people just recognized him as Arthur. And then just they they got on with the business that they needed to. So. But overall, yeah. I thought the crown of thorns was, uh, or the crown comes down. I'm sorry. I thought it was nice, and um, I, I'm a little more excited for what's to come. But I thought it was a good one. All right, cool. Well, let's move on to Aquaman number 34, which is called Tyrant King by Abnet and Kelly Jones. Coram Rath is told that Aquaman has destroyed the crown of thorns, leaving Atlantis vulnerable to attack. Rath has flashbacks to his childhood and of his father, who was a simple, hardworking man, but who wasn't averse to striking his young son when it suited him. Two of Rath's advisors, Ursel and Liot, privately privately discuss how out of control Wrath is getting and talk of quietly pushing him out of power, keeping him on only as a figurehead. They think Wrath isn't on to them, but he is, increasing his paranoia. Wrath consults the only person he thinks he can trust, a childhood friend named Cadaver. Using Cadaver's magic powers, they consult the source of Atlantis' magic, which infuses Wrath with total uncontrollable power. By merely touching his friend, Cadaver is reduced to a, a husk, declaring total obedience to his friend. Now more powerful than ever, Wrath promises to destroy all the enemies around him and then Aquaman. So we're going to talk about, talk about just this one by itself because this is essentially, it's a well-crafted fill-in issue, but it's essentially a fill-in issue because it's it's basically a whole, like, let's just do basically the secret origin of Comrade, and we're going to have a different artist draw it, give, give Federici the month off, and that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a fill-in, but it's a sort of side story the way the Mirror Queen of Atlantis was a side story, that it's part of the bigger story, but it's, it's, it's a little bit separate from the main thrust. I, I don't think it was a fill-in. I think of it sort of like what Jeff Johns used to do. Jeff Johns was writing for the trade, you know, as far back as 2003, if you will, when he was doing JSA, but he would do like three issues of a story, and then one issue of a story, and then a two-issue story, knowing, knowing full well that made a six-issue trade, but you got three stories out of it, that kind of thing. And I feel like that's okay. what I feel like all that's right. what he's doing here. He's like, all right, I'm not just going to do a six-issue story as a trade. I'm going to give you a couple different stories that all go in the trade together and it works out perfectly, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, uh, I I like Kelly Jones. I like his artwork, <laughs> and I what? I have a story. I have a funny story. So I'm, I didn't I okay. didn't notice the creative team on this one. So I just started reading, but I'm going through it. And I'm like, wow, I am really digging this art. This looks a little bit like Kelly Jones, except is way more restrained. Is what I was thinking the whole time of reading it. That I go back and I look, I'm like, well, I'll be damned. So because um, I've always felt like Kelly Jones was amazing back in the day, but then he got a little crazy, like with all the Batman vampire stuff he did. If I felt like I felt like everything got stuff. like crazy tall and skinny and just over too much. And this is what I love about Kelly Jones. So this is like super exciting for me. This is like the kind of Kelly Jones work that I absolutely adore. Yeah, and it's it's suitable for his style because it's a dark story. I mean, Coram Rath is a deeply troubled guy, and it deals a lot with dark magic powers. I. I always – and I feel this way about in almost all fiction. I get a little weirded out or squidgy uh, when it talks about magic because it's like you can always – like there's no limit to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's like, I oh, all- I have all the powers in the world except now I have more. Like, all right. Like, okay. Well, how do I know there's not more than that? You know, I mean it's, it's, it's not quantifiable in any real way. 
Um, I felt that about, uh, I think I watched one of the last Harry Potter movies, and it was just a bunch, to me, it was just a bunch of actors just pointing their wands at one another and, like, grimacing. I'm like, how do I know who's winning here? I don't, you know, it's magic. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, we, we, we know that Karn Rath is super powerful, and now at the end of the story, he's just, like, super extra double powerful. Well, he's also okay. monstrous. Yeah, but I mean, it, I just feel like, well, you can, I mean, why not just keep upping it? You know what I mean? Like, at what point are we like, okay, he can't have any more power than he already got. That said, I liked it as a side story. I liked the idea that Quirmrath learned all the wrong lessons because his dad slapped him around and stuff. So I thought that was a nice little comment. So overall, again, it, I don't mean to say it would fill in in a derogatory way, but it's clearly of, hey, let's just take a pause and tell this little side story. We're going to get back to the main story next month. And if you're going to do it, this is a good way to do it. I'm going to give a backhanded compliment to this issue, <clears throat> which is I really, really, really enjoyed seeing the backstory on Quirmrath. It really helped me understand the character a lot better. I thought it was necessary because he's just been this bad guy since he showed up. So to understand his motivation, I thought that was absolutely essential. I thought it really helped put some flesh on the character as far as how you feel about him. Um, the backhanded side of that compliment is they put it at the perfect time right before they make him completely unrelatable. So they really should have done this issue like, I don't know, 10 issues ago, where when we first got introduced to Cormrath, we could understand his his where he was coming from. Because now they introduce, they show you all this, and you're like, oh, I get it. You know, he really is trying to do the right thing, but he's going about it the wrong way. And then next, now, then after this, he's just essentially a monster. So it's like, all, mm-hmm. you know, it's. I feel like they they gave us this story too late to care about him. I can see that. As soon as he gains his real humanity, then he's just this walking pile of goo, yeah. essentially. And of course, exactly. If you if you want a monster design, you get Kelly Jones. Yes. Kelly yeah. Jones is really good at this <laughs> stuff. Everybody's all monsters. When they go down to the the secret cavern, it's all dark and creepy looking. And so, yeah, it's it's nice stuff. Yeah, he's got like one arm that's like a half octopus and half you know lobster yeah. claws yeah. and all this cool creepy 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 stuff. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, but now we're back to the main story in Aquaman number thirty-five, which is Darkness Falls by Abnet, Robson, Roca, and Daniel Enriquez. Uh, Aquaman and his team attack Wrath's palace. Merc and Aquaman go mano a mano, where Aqu- Arthur reminds his once loyal right-hand man that he betrayed him and the throne. Merc argues that since Aquaman has never really wanted to be king, he was doing both Atlantis and Aquaman a favor by merely pretending to kill his king, hoping he would use that as an opportunity to return to the service world and not come back. But Aquaman has, and he convinces Merc that he needs to take they need, they need to take down Wrath together. Meanwhile, Ursel and Leot attempt an assassination of Wrath, only to see he has been transformed into some sort of magical creature, of course, like we just saw in the previous issue. Aquaman 36, the assassination of King Wrath by Abnet and Robson Roca. As Merc and Aquaman prepare to go after Wrath, Merc warns Aquaman that if he is to defeat Wrath, he cannot show any mercy. Aquaman is unsure about this, and indeed, when he does have the chance to kill Wrath, he hesitates. Meanwhile, Volko, accompanied by Dolphin, King Shark, and a few others, consult an Atlantean elder named Null, who is some sort of living spirit. Volko asks Null for help defeating Wrath, but she, question mark, refuses, saying Wrath is Atlantis, and they are on their own. Uh-oh. Uh, Aquaman 37, the Tyrant Triumphant by Abnet and Robson Roca. Aquaman and Merc attack Column Wrath, but he's so powerful he fights them both off. Tearing, on, tearing one of Merc's arms off in the process. Aquaman leaves the fight to bring Merc back to their HQ, and Wrath consults the darkness, the source of his transformation. The darkness shows him a vision that if he continues to fight, he will rule Atlantis, but it will be a smoldering pile of ruins. The fighting will be so fierce. The darkness suggests the only way for Wrath to really rule is to destroy Atlantis and build something new upon the ashes. Aquaman 38, the Kingslayer finale by Dan Abnett. Robson Roca. Aquaman re-engages with Wrath, but he is too powerful. 
Dolphin tries to help, but Wrath is still too strong. Just when all seems not, Mira, fully healed, arrives, along with other factions of Atlanteans, and using her new trident, sinks it into the heart of Wrath, driving the darkness out. Bereft of a host body, the darkness rages and fades away, leaving Wrath just an animalistic husk. Severely injured and no longer a threat, Aquaman lets Wrath wander into the inky darkness. Aquaman and Mira celebrate with a kiss, and Mira asks what the darkness was referring to when it talked about a wish that Aquaman had made. He refers to a previous adventure from another book about how his fondest wish was to see Atlantis raised like it was during its golden age. That wish is now granted, and Aquaman and Mira look upon a palace of land and sea. So, okay. Uh, (laughs) The one big complaint I have is that this, this big thing with the wish was done in the separate miniseries, the JLA Dark Metal or um, whatever it's called. Dark Metal, and I did not read that. And that was a little frustrating because I was like, don't make me read this other thing. But nevertheless, what did you think of these four issues? Well, I, I do have to do one thing. I do have to correct you about something, and it just pains me to point out when you're wrong. It really hurts me. But yeah, uh, during all your recaps, you pointed out that the story was by Dan Abnett and Robinson Roca. That's actually not correct. Only issue 35 was by Ro- Robson Roca. The rest were backed by Frederiki, or however you say, uh, the, the regular artist's name. Oh, okay. I only want to point that out. I made a mistake there. Be- Sorry about that. I only want to point that out because issue 35 was one of my favorite illustrated ones by Robinson Roca. I thought it was really, really great. I loved his art. I thought it was very clean, uh, yet still very detailed. I liked the proportions, yet everyone still had sort of a – there was a little bit of dynamic stuff going on, uh, some nice storytelling in there, very modern kind of style. So I really liked Robinson Roca's artwork. I wish he had been the main artist on the series. Uh, and again, Frederica does some beautifully, as you said, almost painted like stuff. But for my money, what I want, this, is, this Roca guy was really right in my wheelhouse. Um, the real key to take away from this story is that Merck is everyone's favorite, and Merck was damn right through this whole story. You know, that's what I liked about Merck was Merck made a point when he was battling Aquaman. The point he kept saying about Aquaman is like, I didn't want you dead, Aquaman. I just didn't want you on the throne. And I love that point. Right. That was great because, you know, Merck has been an antagonist since the beginning. But now you find out that, you know, he never – and he did – we saw the issue several issues ago where he didn't kill – chose not to kill Aquaman. But now it all makes sense. Again, he's, he's not a bad guy. He just wants to support Atlantis and thinks Aquaman isn't the guy for the job. And then when Merck says you should have killed Wrath, he's right. This whole Aquaman touchy-feely, no, Wrath is – you know he's been brought humble. No, freaking kill him. You are a superhero. How many times have your bad guys come back? So all the way across, Merck was right. Should have done what Merck said. I got more to say. But I, agree, I agree with that. Really? No, no, I agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I it's it's absurd. <laughs> I, I understand they're always trying to be, and I don't, I don't like superheroes that kill indiscriminately, and I don't want Aquaman to be one of those characters. But at this, come on, he's a Wrath is this giant Cthulhu-like creature who will just destroy everything in his quest to rule. You got to kill him. Come on, that, that, that's absurd. So. Aquaman, yeah, I mean, it, when when Jeff Johns was writing him, he was killing people left and right with that trident, yeah. you know? Uh, and here, he's like, he has a chance to, you know, so, I mean, I kind of like that Wrath is left to be just this empty, mindless husk, as, and he floats away into the darkness. Like, I like that. It's kind of like even a more grimmer ending. But, yeah, it's really silly. And I agree. I agree, in this case, with Merc. Aquaman should not have come back. He should be a superhero and hang out with Mira and Amnesty Bay and have fun and stuff like that. 
So I really think since 2011, when the new 52 started, th this whole Aquaman rung should just be called the saga of Merc. Because he starts off as this incredibly unlikable character, and he really is I intended to be, and for those of you who didn't pick up on it or don't remember us talking about it, seven and a half years ago, uh, <laughs> Merc was intended to be a parody of the Peter David Aquaman. Because he's right. got the hook hand, well, it's not really quite a hook, but he's got like, it looks like a, I don't know, a high life scoop or something. But he's got this bladed hand. He's got, I mean, he's basically, if you look at his costume, he, he looks a lot like the Peter David Aquaman. And then he was designed as a parody of that. And now he's come a, a long way to being a hero of Atlantis that I adore. He's even in the freaking movie. It's the wrong version. He is in the it's movie, the wrong version yeah. of him, but he's in the movie at least. I dug the uh, the returning spirits, the elders. I th uh, I did not expect that. I thought that was kind of a throwaway thing several issues ago when they first introduced them. So it was nice to see them. I thought it was well played. I like the the effects, the way they look. They're very ghostly and scary. Um, really awesome when Mara comes trumpeting back in on all the creatures because it's. I mean that's exactly how the miniseries ended. So it just it, again fits fits in so nicely. So really enjoyed that. And. Um, yeah, overall, it was a nice story. I'm glad it's over. Uh, the Wrath story was very, very, very long. Um, yeah, I think, it do, I think it went on an issue or two too long. Probably more than an issue or two, maybe a trade or two long. But, um, but in general, it was a really – like I bet it will be an awesome read in all trades. If you sit down with the, what, the three or four, maybe five trades that the Quorum Wrath storyline lasted, it's probably going to be an amazing read. On a month-to-month -month basis, it just seemed to go a little too long. And I don't know whether that was a DC mandate where they said, you know, we got the movie coming out. We need a lot of Atlantis stuff going on. We need you to make him look more like, you know, Momoa. Because by the end of this, he, he looks oh, very Momoa-like, you know, with the mm -hmm. beard and the hair and all that. But um, actually, he looks a lot like the, the old Peter David era, really, with the, with the way they draw him. But anyway. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there were like maybe a few too many encounters between Wrath and Aquaman. Like they're the big bads at the, they're the big foes at the end. And if they meet like six times, it loses a little bit of its punch. You know, it's like how much would have uh, you know Star Trek Two work if like Kirk and Khan had met six times? Right. You know, you'd be like, okay, all right, already. You know what I mean? So I think it may. I don't think it dragged on as long as maybe you did, but I do think it was a little like, all right, right, okay, we can wrap this up now. But but otherwise, I think it was fine. I'm glad that Mira comes in with the cavalry at the end. That's good. I like all that. And so, and again, I like the idea of Mira being, um, you know, the the queen of Atlantis. And I liked it, of course, in the larger sense, Dolphin being added to the Aquaman universe. Yeah. Dolphin's a great character, and she belongs in the Aquaman universe. And so, and I like this take on her. Mm -hmm. I like I like that she's mute again. I, like, I, I dig all that. I hope they continue to develop her, and I hope I hope this sort of jealousy streak they've got going, where she's jealous of Aquaman and Mera. I hope that just gets jettisoned pretty quick, because you, you see that throughout a lot of this, where she gives these these looks that are conveying you know jealousy whenever Aquaman's thinking about Mera. I like the idea that uh, they brought they have Mira, of course, we have Dolphin, and then now they've brought in Tula. Who could become Aquagra? I like the idea of Aquaman surrounded by powerful women. Mm. I think that's a neat idea. Uh, I've never been a huge fan of Aqualad. Sorry, everybody. Uh, so I'm I'm perfectly happy if they never bring him in in any real sense. But I like the idea that he is this this leader and he's surrounded by very very powerful and diverse women. I think that's cool. And I think it's it's it, it matches the moment too. Yeah. So I, I like all that stuff. Yep. It was very good. So and, and yes, the right. mirror on the throne thing. We actually are. I'll be more exact. I actually suggested that a billion years ago when you were complaining about Aquaman spending too much time in Atlantis. You know, if they just made Mera queen and let mm -hmm. her be on the throne, we were like, yeah, that's a great idea. So you're welcome, Dan Abnett. Once again, we made the Fire and Water Network makes things happen. Making it rain underwater. 
So, <laughs> right. so uh, now we're going to move on to the next issue, which is Aquaman number 39, Sink Atlantis Part 2. Yes, Part 2, because it happened – Part 1 was in another comic <laughs> uh, by Dan Abnett, Rob Williams, Joe Bennett, and Vicente Fuentes. Mira is now queen of the new Atlantis, but trusting the service world will not be easy, especially when treachery is already underway, with Wrath's right-hand woman, Urcel, hiring the Suicide Squad to plan a covert strike on the throne, hopefully goading Mira into responding with a show of force. Mira learns of this and, even though he's no longer king, old habits die hard, and he makes plans to deal with it behind Mira's back. After a fight between Aquaman, Killer Croc, Harley Quinn, and some of the others, Mira confronts Arthur and sets him straight. She also launches a covert mission of her own with Aquaman leading the way. Aquaman number 40, Sink Atlantis finale, Abnet, Williams, Bennett, Fuentes. Lord Satanus of the Suicide Squad plans to set off a nuke inside Atlantis. Aquaman tries to turn the other members to help him, which isn't easy. Killer Croc, who gets his hands on the bomb, just wants to die. But Harley Quinn manages to talk him out of letting it go off. Another member, Master Jailer, sacrifices himself trying to secure the bomb and gets blown to smithereens. Later, Mira talks to the U.S. government and they acknowledge that they are at a stalemate. Mira then shows a video of an army general and Amanda Waller discussing the squad's, the squad's covert mission, but agrees not to release it to the public. The rogue general is arrested, and Mira meets with Waller, who arranged for Mira to get the video in the first place. They pledge to continue their back-channel diplomacy to see if the two nations can work together. So, okay, uh, I would assume at this point Harley Quinn is now the new Batman, in terms of, like, you work her into the book to boost sales. <laughs> like she, she, she's the Wolverine of the DC universe. Well, she, she's been on the Suicide Squad since the new 52 started, so this, this isn't a new role for her, so she's been there a long time. Ironically, it's funny you mentioned that, because what I was about to say is I love the fact that Aquaman is actually being used in crossovers to prop up other books now. Whereas the old days, it's like they throw Aquaman in a crossover to help his sales. Now they throw him in with Suicide Squad. They throw him in with Justice League for Drowned Earth, probably to help them, actually, which I think is hysterical. <laughs> that is awesome. It's amazing. Oh, my God. So I did not read the Suicide Squad issues. And you really no, neither did you didn't really have to. You know, it's uh, it, it makes sense all on its own. I just read the, these two issues, and it worked perfectly fine. I do have to say the Joe Bennett art. I freaking loved it. This was my favorite art in the whole uh, this whole collection of books we read. It, it, wow. I still think that Stephen uh, Sage was uh, the best, the guy from last time, but um, the, the previous episodes we covered that is. Uh, but the, the, as far as this run of thirteen issues, the Joe Bennett art, I love it. He's got this fun, fun panel design. It's very dynamic. He's got these magical glyphs. Now the characters are a little bit off model, but like in a good way. Like he's trying to make them their own, his own, you know, as he's doing it. And I really, really dug it. I am, I'm, I'm happy with it. How did you feel about the art? Uh, I thought it was, it was fine. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, I like the crossover. I, I mean, of course, again, you, you work Harley Quinn into it. That means you're dropping a lot of comedy yep. into it because she's just not taking anything seriously. And yes, I know that Harley Quinn has been part of the Suicide Squad from the beginning. But I mean, you look at the other characters in the book: Master Jailer, Lord Satanist. They're not selling the book. <laughs> you know, I mean, this, this, this book is basically Harley Quinn and the others. Okay. Uh, well, at dead this shot, point, too. and I, yeah. and yeah, dead shot. But I mean, it's and so I, I like seeing these these you know B listers, Master Jailer, Lord Satanus. I mean, good lord, you know, these are guys from the back pages of Who's Who, and here they are in the book. Um, and so I, I like Aquaman interacting with all them because, of course, it's you know, it's it's like oil and uh, oil and water kind of thing. You know, I mean, she's taking this is everything. She's making jokes, and everything. Aquaman's taking them very seriously. Um, 
I didn't read the other parts, but yeah, I, I'm pretty much was able to follow the story just from reading the Aquaman issues. So I thought they were, I thought they were enjoyable. I liked how the Harley Quinn stuff would break the fourth wall every so often. Like she made a reference to, remember when you opened that door last issue and master jailer's like last <laughs> issue, what? Cause you know, she, she's sort of like Deadpool. She knows she's in a comic. Um, yeah. even her description was funny when they're, they're describing like the little narrator, I guess you would, or the captions that describe the characters. Harley Quinn did not haul on her fishnets for this. I thought Ryan would like that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see. So I, quite, here's here's a, con, here, a discussion point for you. So Aquaman goes behind Mara's back. He decides to go after the Suicide Squad without telling Mara they're there. Specifically decides to give her plausible deniability. However, uh, you know she, Mara takes offense at that because she's the king and she feels like he's undermining her authority. Where do you fall on this one? <sighs> yeah, I, I I mean yes, it's it, it it's old as I said, old habits die hard. So uh, I get that Mira was like, hey, I'm when I said I'm queen of Atlantis, I'm queen of Atlantis. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I've seen it a lot. And I just kind of was like, well, all right. It's all right. I didn't I didn't love it. I um, at first I was like I thought it was like perfectly fine. I'm like, no, I get it. He's trying to protect her because uh, you know he was on the throne. He gets it. You know this way she can you know this is a sticky situation with the U.S. government. She can deny knowing about it. But then I started thinking about like, okay, well wait a minute. What if Merc had done this to Aquaman? Yeah, I'd feel very differently if Merc had done this to Arthur. So yeah, in hindsight, I'm thinking it's kind of a dickish move. He probably shouldn't have done that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I dug Amanda Waller, of course, manipulating everything just basically to remove this political rival of hers. I thought that was fun. Right. Then uh, another variant cover. There's a great one for issue forty by oh, say the name, Rob. Joshua Middleton. There we go. It's Aquaman and Mara. They are they're like touching forehead to forehead, and the behind them is the the raised spires of Atlantis. And I just think it's a beautiful one. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's very, it's very um, Harlequin romance. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they ever just do a, a romance book starring Aquaman and Mira, you know, it would be a lot of him shirtless and stuff. <laughs> That's the cover for it. So, yeah, I, I dug that one. So, anyway, yeah, I love the. I'm looking here at just the, the panel design. I love this Joe Bennett stuff. I think it looks great. Now, wait a minute. Right. That, he's got a shirt on <laughs> on that cover. I'm saying in the Harlequin yes, romance I know, stuff, I he would be constantly taking yeah. his shirt off. That's what those books were all about so i, I just way. like this one issue, issue 40 look it up folks you know i'm gonna put on the gallery no, post, it, I, yeah no it's a beautiful no i, I love this the cityscape that's yeah. really beautiful i do the gallery post yeah, so i'm great. in control of what goes on there so every time rob goes it'll be on our gallery <laughs> yeah I'd like we'll see if i decide it should be or not well with that let's move on <laughs> uh aquaman 41 which is here comes the flood by abnet land medina vicente fuente a tidal wave of poisoned water starts to rise around atlantis turning everyone who touches it into a raging zombie Aquaman is nowhere to be found, having disappeared earlier, so Mira returns to the Justice League for help. Batman is there to offer support, but the enormity of the threat is only slowly realized. This is the work of an alien invasion, which has revealed itself over the skies of New York. Eventually, everyone in Atlantis is infected, and Mira loses touch with Batman. She then turns to the only person left who might be able to help, Ocean Master. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Aquaman 42, Dead Sea, Abnet, Medina, Fuentes. Continued from the Drowned Earth miniseries, Aquaman consults Poseidon himself, asking for help ever since his powers were taken away by a triumvirate of sea gods. Poseidon stabs Aquaman in the chest, causing him to have a memory of being a child sailing with his dad. The memory turns into a dream and then a nightmare when various people from Aquaman's life show up. Coram Wrath, Black Mana, and more happily, Mira. Aquaman awakens from the dream with his powers returned, where Poseidon says the pain was meant to help him. Aquaman concludes that the, if the pain is helping this world, then he is ready to dish some of it out. So, Shag? Um, these are, these are basically 
fill-ins to work around this big crossover. There's this giant crossover. It's called yeah. Drowned Earth. You Drowned buy Earth. an issue called like it, it takes place in Justice League, and then you buy this issue called Justice League Aquaman Drowned Earth, and then you buy this issue called Aquaman Justice League Drowned Earth. And the primary writers on those are Scott Snyder and James Tiernan, whatever it is. Um, really, it picks up on the Justice League continuity. I tried to read the new Justice League book. Uh, the one – I think James Tiernan's the one who's writing it. The one who's got Starman in it. It's called, it was called like the um, – what's it called? The the It'll come to me in a minute. Anyway, I, I bought it on one of those comicology sales, and uh, so I decided to uh, try it out. And – I gotta tell you, like, there's little, there's little story beats where, like, Aquaman. I'm sorry, where uh, Joker and Lex Luthor are fighting. This has nothing to do with the Aquaman comic. I promise, I'm getting there. Anyway, uh, where uh, the, the the totality. That's what it's called. There we go. The totality. Anyway, Aquaman. I'm sorry, I keep saying that. Joker and Lex Luthor are fighting Batman and Hawk Girl. There's like moments like that that are really good. There's this magical doorknob. There's this bit with Lex Luthor. What I'm saying is, there's all these story beats and story points that are really interesting. But the overall story, I don't know what the hell was going on. I do not understand the totality. I could not tell you what the totality is. I could not tell you what it means or does. I didn't get it. I'm either, either it was not very well constructed or I've just aged out of modern DC comics. Maybe that's what it is. So when you, where I'm going with this is this all leads in then to Drowned Earth, which is another major storyline, which I tried to read some of the issues of Drowned Earth didn't really grab me. Uh, so I actually think these crossovers are more interesting than the actual main storyline. But that being said, it still feels like fill-ins. It kind of makes me mad that Abnett had to go out in someone else's crossover. You know, his last issue yes. was someone else's crossover. However, he did make a silk purse out of a sow's ear in that his last issue, he did this sort of, you know, dream sort of thing. Another one of these dream states, right? But he did manage to squeeze in, you know, like a greatest hits. He got Tom Curry in mm -hmm. there. He got Ocean Master. He got Scavenger and Mara and Black Mana and Wrath. So he got a lot of the greatest hits stuff in there. So I thought he did the best he could. I just wish he could have gone out on a big storyline or something. Yeah, I would have. Yes, I, I, that's exactly what I thought, too. It was, it was a shame that he got to, he had to wrap it up where he got to wrap it up. I and mean, we do have one more book uh, that he wrote, but that, that didn't, that came a little earlier, but, uh, but yeah, I wish he had a chance to sort of go out on his own terms, sort of, but, but uh, again, again, like you just said, we do at least get the dream sequence and we, we do get to see some of the other bigger classic characters from his history. So, the, so that was good. Um, yeah, I didn't read the other comics. I'm just, I'm no longer buying tie-ins like that ship has sailed in like 1987. <laughs> so, uh, I didn't really fully understand what was going on. Cause of like, well, Aquaman's gone. Now he lost his powers and he's talking to Poseidon. I was like, all right, I don't know what any of this is, but it was fine. So ultimately I thought they were, they were okay, but not a whole lot more than that. The, the big thing to walk away with how, how much of a badass Mara is though, when yes. Batman finds out that he's trying, he's telling Mara she's got to do all this stuff and then she can't talk anymore because she's hold, literally holding back all the waves surrounding Atlantis. And even Batman's like, whoa, really? You know, just wow. That's amazing. Uh, the arts by Lands, uh, Lane Medina, who did Aquaman and the others, it's fine. Uh, it's not the standout of the run, but uh, it's, it's fine. Uh, all right. Well, then let's move on to our last comic, uh, which is a bit of a change of pace. <laughs> <laughs> this is Aquaman and Jabberjaw, <laughs> part of the uh, part of the uh, DC uh, and Hanna Barbera crossovers. Uh, the story is a bigger beat by Dan Abnett and Paul Pelletier. Paul Pelletier is uh -huh. back. Look at that. 
a series of shark attacks happen off Amnesty Bay. The local police ask Aquaman to investigate, and the case falls into his lap when a flying shark passes by the restaurant <laughs> they are in, headed for the local convenience store. Not only that, but the shark speaks English. Aquaman finds out the shark is, of course, named Jabberjaw, and it certainly lives up to his name. After some investigating under the water with Jabberjaw, Aquaman discovers a school of enraged, bloodthirsty sharks. Aquaman concludes that something is driving them into a murderous rage, and it is probably involves the mysterious dimensional portal that has suddenly appeared. Good thinking. Aquaman and Jabberjaw head into it, and they arrive in Jabberjaw's time. Twenty-seven. We're talking yes. about Jabberjaw. <laughs> yes. It's just fun saying Jabberjaw a lot. Aquaman and Jabberjaw head into it, and they arrive in Jabberjaw's time, 2076, where Aquaman is a legendary TV hero, uh, hero of TV and movies. In this world, the formerly blissful society where humans and fish live in harmony has been turned into a nightmare by a bad guy named Ocean Master. With Jabberjaw's rock band on the run, the Sea King and Jabberjaw have to team up to make things right. Oh, man. Okay. Uh... <laughs> What did we think of Aquaman and Jabberjaw? It's so ridiculously funny. The best page is that one you're talking. You mentioned a minute ago where they're like, yeah, the, his friend, the sheriff lady, I can't remember her name. She's asking Aquaman to find Jabberjaw. Or, I'm sorry, to find the sharks. And he's like, I'll do it. And then, like you said, Jabberjaw floats by. And yeah. she says, you know, can you find him within 24 hours? And Aquaman's like, I think I can deliver sooner than that. <laughs> it's so funny. And the Jabberjaw, you, you think he would look like the cartoon, but he does. He looks like a drawing of a regular great white shark, you know, maybe a little softened, but he's, he doesn't look like the cartoon version. So seeing the sort of realistic shark in, in hearing in my head, you know, basically curly from Three Stooges, you know, nyah, 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 that kind of thing. It's just I, I am getting that right. Isn't that how Jabberjaw talked? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it just cracked my junk up. That well, that's a horrible phrase. Um yeah, I mean look, I love Paul Pelletier. We we really yes. waxed his car a lot back when he was on the, the, the main series. So I'm really I'm perfectly happy to have him back here because he has a lighter touch and that's good for such a goofy crossover. That said, I don't like I look at it and I'm like, Well, that's not Jabberjaw. Oh that's my shark. gosh. And and so I'm thinking it would have been interesting if they had flipped the script and made Aquaman look like he fit in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Like, just do it full out and make it look like a, a Jabberjaw episode, but just done in a comic book. I think that might have been an interesting way to go about it. And, and so go super cartoony as opposed to dragging Jabberjaw into the real world of Aquaman, actually bringing Aquaman into the Jabberjaw world. But we got Jabberjaw in a freaking Aquaman comic. Don't I complain know, about know. it. Yeah, <laughs> no, that is minor. And I do again, once again, I'm gonna Middleton. The the variant cover is fantastic. There's a it's cover. Aquaman, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's okay. a very yes. It's Aquaman poking out of the water, and he's almost nose to nose with Jabberjaw, which is just, well, Jabberjaw's in the air, which is the funny part. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's, he's leaning down, looking down on him. I, uh, so that's really great. And again, the, you, Abnet keeps the ball up in the air, you know, it keeps it light enough and the introduction of all these other silly Hanna-Barbera concepts and stuff like that. And Aquaman works well in him. So, and I, I love even the, the final panel of, of, of like sort of this ghostly image of Jabberjaw in the background. It's almost like, you know, he was a great friend. It is almost like a very kind of, you know, like what a wonderful team up that was. And it's like, you're forgetting that Aquaman just teamed up with a, 
with a sentient shark. How are, how have you not you spent all this time talking about it? How have you not mentioned all the Jaws jokes in the first half of this book? Well, the, I did mention the name of the story is a bigger beach, oh. which is of course a gloss on a bigger boat. Oh, I didn't think about, okay, I didn't think about that. But yeah, there's there's a whole bit where the girl jumps in the ocean at first, and you, it's right. it's set up just like Jaws. There's a part where someone's writing on a chalkboard. It's like they all stop and look, and he's just like, oh, sorry right. about that. And it's just, I mean, there's. Tons of little nods to the mayor's complaining. Uh, lots of Jaws nods in the beginning, which I just loved. I figured you'd be apeshit for that, but um, yeah, I was. Yeah. I, I, I was. I love the the uh, put C Lab 2020 into it. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm personally a fan of the one the version from uh, Adult Swim, whatever it was like 2021 or whatever it was, where things have gone a little weird. And the the funniest line in the whole thing is when they meet the Ocean Master of Jabberjaw's dimension, and Aquaman's like, "You're not Ocean Master." He's like, "Yes, I am." And he says, I trademarked the name months ago, so suck it, which that was actually the line Abnett wrote, which cracked me up. <laughs> uh, this was just goofy fun. I'm a big fan of these Hanna-Barbera DC comics. Like, I read Future Quest, which is, oh my gosh, it's Crisis on Infinite Earths for the Hanna-Barbera set. It really is. It, I'm not kidding. They brought together uh, Johnny Quest and, oh gosh, I'm blanking, Space Ghost. And uh, Herculoids and uh, God, there's a bunch more. They brought together all these different Hanna Barbera properties in one giant cosmic battle and made it make sense. And it was so much fun. And uh, it just the, some of the goofiest stuff they put in there too. And it's just great. And that's by Jeff Parker, who's can do no wrong. And so uh, this one works perfectly well in that little weird cosmic crossover universe. I love it. I haven't been reading the other books, but as far as I've been hearing from people, that DC's actually kind of done the Hanna Barbera characters. Right, by kind of doing new versions of them. I mean, J.M. DeMatteis is doing the new Scooby-Doo one. With Keith Giffen. And with Keith, with Keith Giffen. And you've got the Flintstones book where people say that's really good. And, like, Snagglepuss has been sort of redone. Like, when you first hear it, you're like, oh, really? Revamp versions of these classic characters? And, you know, I think you're like, oh, really? But supposedly, they're all pretty good. And I, and I like this. I mean, I, again, it was fun to see. And I didn't mention, this story is 32 pages. It's even longer than your typical Aquaman comic, and you would think that this conceit would wear out its welcome. But like I said, Abnet keeps it all going pretty well, so you really didn't notice that the story's a little longer than, than even any of the regular issues. Yep, and you even get a backup of Captain Caveman, which, uh, which yes. was written by Jeff Parker again. So, yeah, I, you, you mentioned those. Seriously, folks, go out there and just pick up the first trade to Future Quest. You, uh, make sure you get Future Quest, not Future Quest Presents, because that's the subsequent one. But Jeff Parker, he will. you know you love him on Aquaman. This will not disappoint, I promise. It's so good. All right. Well, that's it. That, we're all caught up. Well, we're sort of caught sort up. Of there were three... We're three issues behind, but now we're only three issues behind, not fifteen. Right. So, uh, so yeah, that is that's that's Aquaman. That is the concluding run for Dan Abnett. Again, of course, we interviewed him on the show a couple of years ago at this point, and he was really fun to talk to. And I, I said I I enjoyed very much his run on Aquaman. It is it's it's the, probably the, again the second longest run probably of any writer. Uh, that the characters had, which is remarkable. Uh, it's transversed two different books and a bunch of miniseries and stuff like that. Uh, I think he did it. He really served the character quite well. I mean, good, good job, Dan. Abbott. Yeah, fantastic run. He's a great writer too. He's written some. Uh, he wrote one of my favorite Doctor Who books. I mean, the guy's a fantastic guy. He knows his way around a story. He knows exactly where to lead it, and he did a great job in this run. And it will be remembered for a long time, like you said, right behind Peter David for lengthy runs. That now, thanks to the trade paperback programs, you'll be able to get your hands on them easy, you know, and people will continue to read these for years. 
Yeah, you always want to leave the character, uh, as I say, you don't want to break the toys, you know, and you want to leave them in a better state than you found them. And I thought, I think he did that. I think he, I think <laughs> well, he picked he, it up after Cullen Bunn, so he definitely left them in a better place. Than well, him. yeah, but I mean, that's harder, though. I mean, you could argue. I mean, is it is it is it easier because you're picking up after something that wasn't very popular, or is it harder because you got a lot steeper hill to climb? Mm. Uh, you know, I guess it, it depends on how you feel about it. But but yes, I mean that 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 ill conceived. <laughs> idea uh although i do i did have i thought it had its moments here and there but yeah i mean he took it back and he brought a lot of cool concepts in and he, he mira as queen of atlantis i think is a great idea uh and so and he, yeah he was benefited by a lot of great artwork he, i mean it helped he had really solid artwork on the on his on his book you know, another huge credit to him too besides introducing dolphin which was a great idea was you know he probably was under a tremendous amount of pressure because you think about the last two years of his run the movie was in development because that, mo- yeah. that movie's been in development for a long time. And so there was probably yeah. all this pressure on him to basically, you know, actually he was writing when, when BVS came out too. So Aquaman was introduced there. So yeah, he's been under all this pressure to say, okay, this is the theatrical Aquaman. This is the way we're going. You need to find some way to line it up with that and yet still be its own thing. And I mean, just that had to be very difficult to manage that. And yet he did it very well. Yeah, I mean, they're right. They're clearly tilting him and his look towards the Momoa thing, but he still is recognizably the character that we've all been reading. I mean, again, it's this new version, it's the rebirth version, but he's but he's still basically that guy that that, that we all like and that we've been doing a podcast about for eight years now. So, uh, good on you, Dan Abnett. Good job. Yep. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to do it. Uh, well, folks, uh, if you want to stay in, you know, first of all, if we want to hear from you, we want you to go out to our website, which is what Rob. Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yep, go to the Aquaman and Firestorm show. Go to this episode. Leave your comments. Tell us what you think about these issues. Tell us what you loved about the Dan Abnett run. You know, share your thoughts. Be part of the community. We want to be involved with you guys and talk to each other. Also, you can go out on the social medias. So you can find me at Firestorm Fan or Once Upon a Geek. You can find Rob at Aquaman Shrine or pretty much every other handle on the internet, on the Twitter, that is. I started a new one. You did not. I did. What did you start? Uh, it's called DCPSA. Oh my gosh! <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. How many of those? Were, how many DS, DCPCAs were there? Uh, hundreds. So I've been posting a new one every day. Oh my gosh! Okay. Um, you know, there's something else that we should say. And if you've hung around all the way to this end of the end of this episode, that's fantastic. We will talk about this again on future episodes very soon. But uh, coming up soon in August, Rob, uh, you and I are going to be together at the Boston Fan Expo. Isn't that correct? What? I didn't agree to that. Oops. Okay. Well, I've booked it through your agent, so you better check your contract. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are going to be at a, doing a Comic-Con together again. I'm looking forward to that very much. So so my jokes last year didn't uh, were a little too believable. So just to be perfectly clear, we are not guests. <laughs> we are just going to be attending. No. Yeah. Uh, some, some people thought we really were going to be guests last year in Baltimore. But anyway, we are going to be there as attendees, and we would love to hang out with other folks from the Firewater Podcast Network, other nuclear subs. And uh, next time we'll talk about it at the top of the show. We won't bury it all the way at the end because Frank's turned it off by now. But anyway, so <laughs> but take a look at the Boston Fan Expo in August, folks. Think about coming out there. We would love to hang out with you guys. It would be awesome. That would be cool. Yep. So all the last place on social media is you can check out Fire and Water Podcast on Facebook and on Twitter as well as FW Podcasts. But I think that's going to do it for now, folks. Uh, until next time, fan the flame. And ride the wave. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-